All right, well, good morning. We're going to go ahead and get started with our, our Sunday School Hour. Continuing in our survey of the books of the Old Testament. Uh, but before we get started, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and seek his blessing uh, on our time in the book of Lamentations together this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we are before you. And we thank you this morning that um, although we possess no wisdom or goodness or ability to perceive the, the truth of your scripture in ourselves, um, that your Holy Spirit is promised um, to lead us into truth, to open our understanding. And so I pray that um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, you would open our hearts and our understanding uh, to the truth that is in, uh, in this bittersweet book. And uh, we, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit now and for reverence as we approach uh, your holy word in your name. Amen. All right. For those of you who, uh, who've kind of gotten to know me over the years, um, you, you may know, and if my wife is here, she certainly knows, that my, my memory is not one of the best. Um, it's, it's selective. I can remember, you know, whole operas, but uh, I can't remember what was said to me uh, minutes ago. And, and I've even, unfortunately, sort of forgotten a lot of, a lot of years of my uh, past, especially of my, my childhood, teenage years. And, um, I, I don't remember much from when I was 15 years old, but there is one day that I remember um, in some ways like it was yesterday, uh, and it was September the 11th. And uh, I remember that day because I remember the feelings uh, that came um, when someone called me and said, you need to turn on the TV. And, and see what's happening for yourself. Um, I remember the, the sense of just devastation and despair uh, that sort of washed over my whole family. And those images are forever burned into my memory. Those emotions uh, will stay with me um, as long as I live. And because of those images and the news coverage and the, and the eyewitness testimony of the destruction and the desolation and the ash and the stench of rotting corpses from those who experienced that day firsthand. Even though we weren't there, or at least perhaps most of us uh, were not there, uh, we feel as if we are or were. And we remember asking the questions, how could this happen? What led up to this and why? Why? Now the book that we come to this morning is an eyewitness account of a national tragedy which took place in the history of Israel, next to which the 9-11 attacks almost pale in comparison. With the destruction of Jerusalem the destruction of the temple, and the exile of Judah into Babylon. 
And the people left behind, the remaining widows and exiles after the siege and sack of Jerusalem would certainly have been asking those same questions. Why? How could this happen? And what led up to this? And so the prophet Jeremiah provides in the poetry of the text of Lamentations the clear answers for all of those questions. And so that is our book this morning. If you haven't turned to it already, please turn to the book of Lamentations. Just for some, some background, the historical setting for the book, um, the atmosphere in which it was written, is the aftermath of the destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in 586 B.C. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, um, for 40 years of his ministry, had warned of this event, had pleaded with the people of Judah to turn from their sin and return from their idols to the one true God. And even before this, even going back um, to the reign of Solomon, almost 400 years, God had sent prophet after prophet and warning after warning to arrest Israel in their, in their downward slide into apostasy. From 2 Chronicles in chapter 36, uh, we, we read an account of these events that says, again and again, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to his people through his messengers because he had compassion on them and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord against his people was stirred up beyond Remedy. And so the judgment that was promised for their wickedness finally did come in 589 BC when the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldean army laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. This was a siege that would last for 30 months. And so by the time the city walls were breached, um, we read in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings and Jeremiah that the people were starving to death. In 2 Chronicles 36, verse 17, we read, And so he, speaking of the Lord, brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who put their young men to the sword in the sanctuary, sparing neither young men nor young women, neither elderly nor infirm. God gave them all into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, who carried off everything to Babylon, all the articles of the house of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and of the king and his officials. And then the Chaldeans set fire to the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned down all of the palaces and destroyed every article of value. Those who escaped the sword were carried by Nebuchadnezzar into exile in Babylon, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So Lamentations was written in the wake of this tragedy that we read about. And the title of the book literally in Hebrew means wailings, loud cries of mourning. And it's actually a collection of five different songs, five 
dirges or songs of mourning. And at, sund- at sundown, uh, almost exactly one month from now, uh, on July the 26th, Jewish communities all over the world are going to sing the words of this song in commemoration of the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem as they have for almost two and a half millennia. Now the author of this book, according to Jewish tradition and many different biblical proofs, is the prophet Jeremiah. And together these five individual songs make up what is essentially a liturgy of mourning over sin. And in this liturgy, this form that would continue to be used for corporate worship in the years to follow, Jeremiah gives to the nation, or what is left of the nation, a model for how they should respond to God's judgment on their sin and what true repentance looks like. And although this song would eventually be used in corporate worship, the picture that we should have of when this was first penned and when it was first sung is that of the prophet, broken and weeping, kneeling in sackcloth amid the rubble of the temple, the bodies of the slain around him. As he rocks back and forth, hands outstretched, beating his chest, the wailings of this song rise with the smoke of the city. In verse 12, we read a question which the the author asks that I think is actually very pertinent to us in our study this morning. He says, is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering? Is it nothing to you? Is it nothing to you who skim across this book in your yearly Bible study plan? Is it nothing to us as we look at it and read of its suffering? As we study Lamentations, the author calls to us to gain some sense of its tragedy and to be instructed by the staggering cost of sin that we see here. He says later on, listen, all you peoples, look on my suffering. My young men and young women have gone into exile. We cannot truly engage with this book in a indifferent way. We can't be casual about it. We are not meant to. So the outline, uh, as far as a, a structure for the study of the book, is really very simple because for once, Bible editors have helped us out with their chapter divisions. Uh, each of the five songs in this book correspond to its five chapters. So the five major divisions within the book are song one that we find in chapter one, which we will title, A Lament for the Fall of Zion. And then in chapter two, we have song two, A Lament for the Day of the Lord's Wrath. In chapter three, song three, which is a lament for the suffering servant. In chapter four, we have song four, a lament for the children of Zion. And in chapter five, we have song five, a lament for those in exile. 
So we begin this morning by looking at, at song one in chapter one, which deals primarily with where Israel's rebellion has brought her. It vividly portrays in this poetic language the cost of sin. Now throughout Lamentations, the author personifies the nation and speaks, speaks of Judah as the daughter of Zion. And so when you see this phrase, you know that he's addressing corporate uh, Israel and the remnant. Um, and so this, this dirge, this song of mourning, begins in verse 1 with this astonishing exclamation. The prophet writes, How lonely lies the city, once so full of people. He invites his audience to take in with him the desolation of this scene. Look around, he says. The city is empty. One of the most eerie things that I remember about the, the pandemic uh, is right after the shutdown, when you could drive around town and not see anyone. Um, there's few things more unsettling than that. And this is the kind of picture that we have here, only the people are not hiding out in their homes. They're either captured or dead. Jerusalem, once so abundant with life, is now empty. She who is great among the nations has become a widow. The princess of the provinces has become a slave. So the first song and the fourth song in this liturgy of mourning, um, in particular, hold up to the audience these before and after pictures. The full city is now empty. She who is great is now widowed. The queen is now a slave. The one who was honored is now despised. And all of these contrasts are really meant to emphasize the stark reality, the shock of just how far Jerusalem has fallen. In his liturgy of repentance, the prophet uses these parallels to drive home for Judah the terrible, terrible cost of their rebellion. You see, before anyone can repent, before we turn from sin, we must be awakened to the awfulness of sin. Now the song continues on like this with one cry of sorrow upon another upon another in chapter one. In verse four we read, the roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to her appointed feasts. All her gates are deserted. Her priests groan. Her children have gone away as captives before the enemy. All the splendor has departed from the daughter of Zion. In verse 8, the prophet gives the reason behind all of this. Um, he says, For the Lord has brought her grief because of her many transgressions. And I'm sorry, that was uh, the verse, verse 5 of chapter 1. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many transgressions. If the people had any doubt as to why all of this is happening and why their city is crumbling and why the temple lies in ruins and why their children are in slavery, Jeremiah gives them the definitive answer. He says in verse 8, Jerusalem has sinned greatly, therefore she has become an object of scorn. He says to the people, it is your sin 
It is your rebellion and idolatry which has incurred the guilt that brought this upon you. In verse 14, he speaks of the the crushing weight of that guilt incurred by their disobedience. He says, my transgressions are bound into a yoke, knit together by his hand. They're draped over my neck, and the Lord has broken my strength. See, God is making them feel the crushing weight of their sin under the curse of the law, under this judgment. I think it's important that as we study this book and as we consider what is happening here, we bear in mind the spiritual context for what's happening. All of this judgment is within the framework of the Mosaic Covenant, where God at Mount Sinai entered into this covenant relationship with Israel and where he promised blessing for their obedience and also cursing for disobedience. And what we are seeing in Lamentations is God faithfully upholding that covenant after he has patiently endured century after century of their rebellion. God does finally pour out his wrath against this apostate people who have rejected him. But even so, there is in this judgment a redemptive aspect because it is meant, as we were told in Deuteronomy, to turn Israel back to God. So in the latter part of Song 1 of Lamentations, Jeremiah, we see shepherding the people in their return to the Lord as he models for them prayers for mercy and deliverance. Verse 9 says, Look, O Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. See, O Lord, from verse 20, See, O Lord, how distressed I am. I am churning within. My heart is pounding within me, for I have been most rebellious. Then he closes song one with uh, what is an imprecatory prayer for God to deliver his people by bringing judgment against their enemy, against their oppressor. Um, And this is found in verses 21 and 22 of chapter one. It says, may you bring the day that you have announced so that they may become like me. Let all of their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. So we've looked at Song 1, a lament for the fall of Zion, which deals with sin's cost. And in Song 2, we see its its consequence, namely that it, it incurs God's wrath. So song two, we could call a lament for the day of God's wrath. The bulk of this song deals with what God has done. We see God's action and his anger. It's interesting, nowhere in Lamentations is Nebuchadnezzar even mentioned. His agency does not come up. See, the prophet wants us to understand that it is the Lord who has done this. So look down at verse 1 of Song 2 in chapter 2. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has cast the glory of Israel from heaven to earth. He has abandoned his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. 
In his wrath, he has demolished the fortified cities of the daughter of Judah. He brought to the ground and defiled her kingdom and its princes. Jeremiah's message is very clear. Nebuchadnezzar may have been the tool, but the reality is God did all of this. And he did it according to his sovereign plan. In verse 17, we read that the Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. God is upholding his covenant. And because he is a God of wrath against sin, over and over, we're impressed with this truth in song two. We read of the wrath of God, his fierce anger against sin that burns like a consuming fire. A lament for the day of God's wrath. All of this has come at his hand. And the next song in chapter three, in light of sin's cost and its consequence, we see how the sufferer is to respond. Song, song three in chapter three is a lament for the suffering servant. And the ministry of this chapter is so incredible because while we are not ancient Israelites, while we are not within the context or the framework of the old covenant, and we have this privilege of escaping the, the curse of sin through faith in Christ, we do still suffer for sin. Um, and whether we are suffering for our own sin, like Israel here, or suffering for the sin of others, like Jeremiah, or suffering because we live in a sinful, fallen world, there is hope in this chapter, in Song 3. The authors very intentionally structured the poetry of the book and the structure of the book so that chapter 3 is at the center. This is the focal point and the climax of Lamentations. And here the song changes. In fact, the whole the cadence of his poetry shifts in verse 1. Chapter 2 left us in the darkest part of the valley. But in chapter 3, Jeremiah is going to let in the light, offering hope in the midst of suffering for repentant sinners. And he does it through a personal testimony. Up to this point in the song, he's been writing in the third person, speaking of the daughter of Zion as the nation, of God and the action that he takes. Uh, but here he switches to the first person so that he can tell his audience where he personally has found hope in the midst of suffering. In verse 1, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction. Jeremiah is saying, I know something about suffering. And he is a, a reformed theologian. He's not shy of acknowledging that all of his griefs and trials are from the hand of God himself. Let's begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read uh, through verse 16 of chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness instead of light. Indeed, he keeps turning his hand against me all day long. 
He has worn away my flesh and skin. He has shattered my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those dead for ages. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my ways with cut stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait, a lion hiding in ambush. He forced me off my path and tore me to pieces. He left me without help. He bent his bow and set me as the target for his arrow. He pierced my kidneys with his arrows. I am a laughingstock to all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has intoxicated me with wormwood. He has ground my teeth with gravel and trampled me in the dust. Now, I don't know if you are like me in this, but I, I know as I read this, I can almost feel the, the sort of strain that this puts on my faith. Why would God make his servant suffer like this? And then the real question comes, is he good? In light of suffering like this, and these are the questions which the widows and the exiles of Israel were grappling with. These are the doubts that Jeremiah had struggled with in his suffering. Read what he says in verse 17 and 18. He says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. He's reached the end. It feels like there's nothing left of his strength or his hope. And this is one of the greatest temptations that a believer will face. When our knowledge of God's power and sovereignty and our experience of suffering collide, our faith is tested. And in verse 21 of chapter 3, Jeremiah finally brings theology to bear on the problem. What he knows to be true about God. Look down in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Here, Jeremiah is leading us to where he has found refuge in the storm, in the very character of God. This is where he finds his hope. This is where he points those suffering in Israel to, who God is. Because his steadfast love never ends because his mercies never run out, because he does not change, I will hope in him, says the prophet. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. He's saying he's enough. The testimony of Jeremiah in this book is when God is all that you have left, 
He is enough. In the midst of trial, it is the maturity of our theology that will mean the difference between hope and despair. And when suffering comes, when our faith is tested, whether it crumples or whether it stands firm in the storm, will depend on one thing, what we believe to be true about God. This I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. In this liturgy for mourning over sin, which the prophet is providing for Israel, we've seen him highlight the cost of sin. We've seen him remind the people of the consequence of their sin in incurring God's wrath. And here we see him providing hope for a suffering people. And in the latter part of chapter 3, he continues to provide that hope as he equips those who are in exile. See, Jeremiah knows, he understands, or rather God has given him this knowledge, a burden for the faithful remnant that for 70 years in Babylon would need to be strengthened. They will need the patience to endure. People like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Now, if, if this song made it to them in Babylon, and I'd say the chances are very high that it did, can you imagine what a comfort these words in chapter 3 would have been to these exiles? Look down at verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Our Lord is a rescuer. Mercy is close to his heart. And Jeremiah's instruction for those Jews in exile, like Isaiah's, is this. Wait for the Lord. Wait on the Lord and see your strength renewed. So song three closes with this call to repentance. Jeremiah says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. But going through the book of Lamentations and getting to chapter three, uh, as one commentator has said, it's, it's like we've hiked up the summit of, of a mountain at sunset. And the trail was really dark getting here, but at the summit, it's, it's blazing light. Now, as, as we read on and go back down the other side, the trail leads back down. It leads us into the darkness of sorrow once more. Song four in chapter four is perhaps the darkest we have here a lament for the children 
of Zion. In song four, Jeremiah actually builds upon the themes of song one, and he continues to expand on on laying out the high cost of their sin. He fills in with graphic detail the awfulness of sin and how it twists and perverts the life of Israel. And there's a specific emphasis in this book on the cost that comes on the children of Israel, on the young. In verse 4, it says, The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Sin has a cost. And the sins of these apostate Israelites were visited upon their children through the natural consequence of going through this judgment. Song chapter 5 is unique within the book um, because while all of the other songs were written um, in Hebrew poetry form with parallel lines, um, this song in chapter 5 shifts into more of a prosaic form. Um, Many commentators believe that it was written at a later date from the first four Um, written still by Jeremiah, but shortly after the the siege and sack of Jerusalem, Jeremiah joined um, refugees from Jerusalem who fled to Egypt. And uh, perhaps it was from Egypt that he wrote this song. And it's from the perspective of those in exile who are putting their hope in the Lord, who are looking forward to a day of restoration that was promised. Look down in verse 19 of Song 5 in chapter 5. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. So within these five songs that make up a liturgy for mourning to Israel, we've seen the author highlight the cost of sin. He's reminded the listener of the consequence of their sin. He's provided suffering people with hope. And in the latter part of chapter three, he's equipped those in exile with instruction to wait on the Lord. And here we see him in chapter five, leading the people in repentance, modeling for them prayers for mercy. But behind all of this, with the provision of these songs through divine inspiration, we can see the faithfulness of God as he shepherds his people even through the suffering of their sin, as he leads them back to himself. And in all of its darkness and all of its sadness, we are reminded in Lamentations of the steadfast love and mercy of our God that would eventually bring about a new covenant, a better one in which all the curse of God's wrath would fall not on his people, 
but on God himself in the person of Jesus Christ through his atoning work on the cross. And Jeremiah saw this day. He looked forward to it. He wrote about it. In the book of Jeremiah, uh, I don't have the chapter written down. I think it's 39. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. May our time in the book of Lamentations, and Lord willing, your further study in this book, help us to rightly value the gift that we have in the new covenant through Christ's blood. All right, you can be dismissed, and we will regather in here at 1034 Worship.